gospel. Church, you all can turn to Acts 27. Uh, we're going to be in verses 1 through 12, uh, not th- 1 through 100 uh, like uh, Nelson uh, thought. That's actually my bad. I will take the blame because that was like Thursday when I clarified for you. But we're continuing and really getting ready to end our, our time in Acts. Um, and we, we've, I don't know about you all, if you've been around for the whole thing, we started over a year ago, we've taken some breaks, but it, it's a beautiful journey seeing the, the gospel expansion, seeing the church expand, churches be planted. Uh, we are about planting churches here at New Hill. We've not sent out our first church plant yet, but church, that is, that is in the future. We want to keep our eyes focused on that. We don't want to keep it focused on how many people can we get in here, how big of an expansion can we build. And, and we've talked about an extension of a sanctuary that we could keep everybody at one service and we could be faithful to keep sending people out. But what if we outgrow that? Well, then we need to challenge ourselves to be about church planting. And I'm encouraged and excited to tell you all, we talked about it uh, last year as we departed from the national level of SBC. We said it's important that we cooperate with other like-minded believers. So this Saturday, um, your pastors are going to be in an assessment with Acts 29 Church Planting Network. They're a Reformed Church Planting Network, all about churches planting churches. Um, so we want to come alongside of them, and hopefully they want to come alongside of us, so long as it's a mutual agreement. We agree theologically, but also practically. Um, then we want to do that. We want to see churches planted, and we want to be able to come alongside of like-minded believers and not do all of that effort ourselves. But that's what's beautiful when you read Acts. You see that it doesn't just end with Jesus. It wasn't Jesus was just resurrected and, and they had some cool story to go and share. No, they had power in the name of Jesus to go and cast out demons, to go and to, to heal the sick, and most importantly, to go and to serve and tell of the gospel that doesn't just heal your physical uh, ailment, but gives you an eternal hope in Christ Jesus. See, some of us, we, we deal with things like physical um, illness, and, and we see sickness, and we see death, and we're like, when will it end in church in this life? You may not be healed of that ailment, but your eternal hope is in Christ Jesus, and we know that that will come. So as we come to Acts chapter 27, the same kind of thing is going on, and our main theme is trusting God on the unknown and broken path. Now, this may seem, this should be a very practical um, word from the Lord this morning as we look through these 12 verses is that that is so real and prevalent in our own life that we deal with broken and unknown situations. Now, you have to have both, right? Because not all of us go through broken situations. We look at some people and we're like, that is a broken situation. And that's not looking down upon one another. That's, that's actually looking and saying, man, like, that brother or sister is, is going through something. We've got, we've got folks in our church family who have been through things that I don't know even as your pastor how I would react. I would only hope that I would react how the word tells me to. But we've got folks here who've, who've dealt with tremendous loss. And they've looked me in the eyes and said, God is sovereign and I trust in him and his plan. And that is the way that we ought to be. That ought to be the Christian disposition when facing the unknown and broken path. Though it is not always that way. Like, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't always deal with it that way. We talk about it. It's, it's e- easy in belief. It's difficult in practice. But Paul lays out this way of living for us here in these 12 verses. And it can be so easy to overlook and think that this is just a mundane passage. It's just giving us some information of what Paul was doing at that time. But indeed, church, it speaks to how the Christian ought to react and live and breathe in those moments of the unknown and broken path. To trust God. Amen. Let's be in an attitude of prayer before we go any further. Father God, we thank you. We, we love you, Lord. 
We love you, and we come here this morning to gather together in your presence and in the presence of one another to exalt the name of Jesus, to be sanctified according to your word. So God, we pray that you would do just that by your spirit moving this morning. I pray that you would just give us great encouragement. As many of us are probably coming off of a difficult, unknown, or broken road this week, God, that we would remember that, that you give us favor, even with the wicked. God, that you use us to serve one another, your people to serve your people. And God, you speak through your word and your people. So let us be attentive this morning, not simply to my words, but to your words. God, I pray that you would flow through me. And God, send everybody out this week to go and to speak of this good news we have in Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So when you're dealing with this um, unknown or broken path, to trust God, it's difficult. But there's a few things that we need to understand, and we see that with Paul. So we're going to have three of those things, but I'm going to reveal them as we go. The first thing is that God gives favor with the wicked. Oh, how could he do that? How, how could he give you favor with the wicked? How could I be surrounded by an army of wicked people who are nothing but godlessness? Like, they themselves exemplify all of godlessness. What am I to do in that situation? Church, you are to trust God. You are to trust God that he may deliver you out of this world, but he may deliver you through that moment. The point is not to run, it's to draw near to God. Not to run away from the situation. Understanding that God can and will, according to his will, give favor with the wicked. We see God do many things with the wicked. I mean, if you're a believer this morning, think about your very own testimony. That you were wicked. The Bible describes us as children of wrath by nature. He took that wickedness, that, that, that vessel of wrath, this, this child of wrath, and he made that a new creation, to no longer walk in darkness, but to be a light and to be salt in the earth. If he can do that, he can absolutely use the wicked to display his glory and never bring them to himself. Like in that moment, they may not even become a believer, but God will use them to serve you, to care for you, to protect you, to keep you from being killed, as it was with Paul here. Verse 1 of chapter 27. This will not be on the screen, so I suggest you open up a Bible. We've got them, every other seat in the baskets, or open up on your phone. It says here, and it says, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners to a centurion of Augustine cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of um, Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristocrus, uh, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul how, church? Kindly, and gave him leave to go to his friends and to be cared for. This was not a Christian man. This was a, uh, a person of authority within the Roman um, army, that he was to make sure that this prisoner was delivered to where he needed to go to. And remember, Paul had appealed to Caesar, so he's on his way to Rome. And to, to kind of set the, 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 the background for you and set the scene for you is that this should have been like a five, like a four-week journey, roughly. Like four or five week, hitting the Mediterranean, you're going to cut across because you don't want to go by land, right? This is like the, the olden days highway system. They're just going to go by sea. And it should have taken four to five weeks 
But because of the, the time of year, which we'll read about in a second, it was very difficult to do so. So Paul is about to embark on this crazy long journey, this unknown path, right? Like if you started and they're like, oh, I don't think we're going to be there in five weeks, you'd be like, oh no, like I've, like I've got places to be and things to do. Paul's like, I've got to appeal to Caesar. Like I need to get out of these chains and be set free and tell them the truth about Jesus, right? And this wicked man has him captive on a boat. They, they hit this port and what does he do? says he treats him kindly and lets him go about. I mean, literally, this person, he's got one job, and it's to, to make sure Paul stays bound and to get him to where he's supposed to go. He is a prisoner, not by deed, right? It's nothing he has done. It's by accusations and then Paul appealing to Caesar. He says, hey, I'll stay in these chains a little bit longer so that I can tell you all and stand my ground that Jesus is Lord and we will be resurrected one day. He's not backing down on that. And then God uses this wicked man to serve Paul. See, God, church, indeed gives favor with the wicked. To you and to I and to the Old Testament, New Testament people of God. He's done this over and over. Look at John 11. He uses the wicked to speak truth, right? If you don't believe that, turn on the television preachers. That's not all wrong. There's... Maybe some of it's 90% right, and the 10% is damnable. But if you listen to the 90%, and you're like, yes, there's the gospel. I hear it in there. It's there. He uses the wicked to speak truth. John 11, 49 through 53. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people not that the whole nation should perish. You listen to that, you're like, boom. That's good. That's a good word. But it goes on to say, he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one children of God who were scattered abroad. So that from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. They thought, it's better that we kill this Jesus before he takes over politically and takes reign over our area and, and Caesar's palace. Everything just be taken over. That's what he meant. Hey, we need to end this guy. It's better that we end him before he ends all of us. But it was prophesied through him. This man who started this hunt for the head of Jesus Christ. It was said through him, the truth, that it is better for one man to die than all to perish. Because by the blood of Jesus, church, we are redeemed by faith alone and Christ alone. Amen? So God used this wicked high priest who was speaking evil and turned it for good. Not only that, but we see in the Old Testament with Esther, if you were with us in Esther, it was such a great book to look at, the, the only book that doesn't mention God at all. And you see God weaving his way through and, and finding favor for his people with wicked people to deliver his people. Look at this, Esther 7, verses 3 through 6. It says, Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be granted me for my wish, and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we have been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent. For our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Ahasuerus 
said to Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he? Who dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe, an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. And we know the story goes on that God's people were delivered. We know that they, they ended up in exile. They returned. The walls were rebuilt and Jerusalem was rebuilt and things started to happen because God found favor, gave favor to his people with wicked, sinful men. This king had and wanted nothing to do with the God of Israel, but he wanted everything to do with his beautiful queen. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, and it was, it was the, the, the olden days bachelorette, right? Like, this king, he's like, bring me all the virgins, all these young, beautiful women. Bring them before me, and I'll pick my favorite. Esther should not have been picked. Th that alone was God working and finding favor. God was setting it up so that his people could be delivered, not so Esther could be delivered to the king and be, her, be his servant, to do whatever he pleased with. No, God was setting the stage to deliver his people out of the hands of wicked men by the favor of a wicked man. God, in many other circumstances, even in our own life, church, has used those who were far from him to deliver messages and to care for his people. You look at even people who have become apostates in your life. They've renounced their faith. They do not believe in Jesus. And God used them. And he's using their apostasy to display his glory and to draw people to himself. Even in their turning away from him, he does such a thing. In this instance, God has given Paul favor with Julius, a favor that prisoners don't have. I mean, you, you can go to Medina County Jail, and they would laugh at this. Like, let him free? If I let him free off onto the shore, he'd run away. Well, he didn't. See, Paul is able to go and to, to wander about and to be cared for. But notice, notice this, church. Just as I said, we would be afraid that prisoners would take off and run away. Like, I remember being a kid and, like, seeing uh, the, the signs on the highway, and it says, like, um, jailmates out cleaning and like picking up, you know, uh, littering on the highway. And I'm like, as a kid, I'm like, one of them's going to jump on the car and kill me. Like, one of them is going to escape. And that's how we think. We're like, if I had that kind of freedom and I was in prison, I'd do it too, right? I mean, I don't think that these are like the, the most notable criminals of, of all time, but that's what I think about. Paul hasn't used that opportunity to run. Instead, he's used this opportunity to truly declare his innocence by his action. He doesn't take off. What does it say in 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 17? Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. That's what our government's there for. That, that is their framework, not given by the Constitution, given by God who established governments and governing authorities. It says this, that they are to punish evil and praise those who do good. It says in verse 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. He says, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Paul doesn't take off. He uses his freedom to display his innocence, that he is, he is innocent indeed. And church, we may be bound by chains and circumstance. Like literally, you may feel bound to, to an evil government here. 
You may feel bound to the circumstance that you, you came into the church this morning weeping about. Yet, as Christians, we remain joyful and determined because we are indeed free because of our Lord Jesus. They can bound us, they can tie us, they can beat us. But we live, we act, and we breathe as free people. Even in the midst of, of evil and corrupt governments. And church, we have it, we've had it, and we will continue to have it. The church needs to speak up. The church needs to say that, that this isn't okay, but we remain joyful in those situations and circumstances because Christ is Lord and we are free in Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't run. He uses it to display his freedom in Christ, that he is innocent. See, understanding your freedom will literally, church, literally free you from anxiety and stress of your unknown and broken path because God is sovereign. Like, when we understand that, that they can bind us, right, like we can be chained up, and, and maybe even mentally, maybe some of you are like, I've never dealt with physical chains. Maybe mentally, you just feel so bound and so hopeless. But to understand that Christ is Lord and you are free, and one day you will get to experience that freedom and its fullness, it will set you free in that circumstance. Literally be set free. And we'll show it by our action and what we do. And church, not only, not only is God giving us favor with the wicked, right? And, and that, that's according to his will. It may happen, it may not. But this teaches us to trust God's sovereign plan no matter what. In that moment, in that situation. But God also uses his people to serve his people. Point number two. That's the other thing he does. If you want to trust God on the unknown and broken path, remember that he finds favor for you with the wicked. Happens as he pleases, but he also uses his people to serve his people. Now, that's not an option, right? That, that's the church being active, being proactive in our care and service for one another, right? Now, I'm not just talking about serving with the kiddos on Sunday morning. I'm talking about going to a summer chill and realizing that it's not about just fun and games and water slides. It's about sitting down, cracking one open, and saying, how was your week? How are you doing? Is life getting to you? How can I serve you? Also, serving people is giving people the opportunity to serve you. I've talked about this a lot, but, but to, to really care for one another and see one another grow spiritually, we've got to open up and let people serve us also. It means like last week, I just wasn't in the headspace right before going up to preach, and I was like, hey, Pastor Mark, I just, I just need you to pray for me. I just need you to pray for me. I, just, I need to, to, to focus in on God's word. There's just so much. And he prayed for me. You're welcome. I gave you the opportunity to serve me. Yeah, you were welcome. I, I knew that you, you were blessed by that situation. I was also blessed. Thank you. It's important that we do that and to understand it. Because he was let free in verse 3. Let's focus on verse 3 again. Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. So not only did he let him go to his friends, right? Like, if you let me off a boat after being a prisoner, I would just hope that my friends would be there, right? Like, Paul's got, got some friends with him. Luke is writing this. He says, we. So Luke is with him, actively with him on this boat. There's another, uh, another one with him. And this is like that old saying, right? Like, your good friends will be there to bail you out of jail. Your best friends will be there with you in the jail, like, bound. So he's got two of those, but then he's got... He's got brothers and sisters in Christ who are there ready to serve him in his affliction and in his need. Church, he had a great need. 
I mean, think about the situation that, that Paul found himself in and continuing to fight, not just, not just for ignorance sake, like, I just want to prove a point, right? Like, Paul wasn't, like, being the toxic masculine. No, he's, he's literally trying to prove truth in Christ Jesus, that the resurrection of life is something to fight for, to tell people about. And he had a need. I mean, he's been bound for, for a long time now, and it's going to continue to go on. This is what Paul writes to Timothy and speaking about wealth, right? And, and we know with wealth that, that wealth isn't a bad thing. Maybe, maybe some of you all, you make a really good living, right? And that's not a bad thing. When you read in the Bible and it talks about the rich man, right? And, and you're like, oh man, like I need to like get a different job. No, you don't. Because what the Bible says is to those who have, they should use to serve. Now this, this is totally what I've talked about before, why I don't like the government telling us what we have to give to. Yes, we Christians ought to be giving because it's an act of worship in our giving. So when it's taken away from you, an act of worship to God is taken from you. And we don't want that. We want to give, but we want to give freely in a way that glorifies God. Not in a way that, like, Brother Simon takes my phone and he's like, hey, I needed that, right? Like, here's, all you had to do was ask, man. Like, passcode's one, two, three, one, right? Like, just take it. Call whoever you need. Just don't use Apple Pay. I don't have any money, right? Like, don't, don't do that. I got no money on Apple Pay. I got it on my cards, right? We use our things that God has given us to serve others. It's how God is serving us through one another. Paul writes this to Timothy. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Church, that's not just the eternal things. Literally, the things that you enjoy. Maybe you all enjoy Xbox or that nice book, the new book that you have, and you have it on your bookshelf, and it's collecting dust, or maybe you're reading it like page by page every second, just flipping through it. He's given us those little things even to enjoy. Richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. There's that warning there, right? Like that if, you, if you're not using it for the right things, if you're haughty and prideful with your money and arrogant and not praising God who gave you the money or resources and whatever else he's given, that you can, you can be puffed up with conceit and you look and value something that is not life to be life. But Paul says, hey, you can use it. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. I don't need to, to go into it, but quick example, uh, which I've shared before, was even when um, Aubrey and I needed to move furniture back in West Virginia. And it was really my first church, uh, second one after my father-in-law, but like the one where like I was becoming an adult and starting to serve. And I was like, man, I, I, I really need to get this. And he's like, hey, you can use my truck. And I was like, well, I was kind of hoping you would drive it, right? Like, you got a big truck. I'm 19-year-old. Like, I don't know how to drive a truck. He's like, no, you take it. Just all I ask is fill up some gas, whatever you use. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, it's $1.20 right now. Like, sweet. I'm not borrowing any of your trucks right now. I'm not doing that. But I borrowed it, and it was, like, really eye-opening to me. I found out later it's, uh, he let me use his truck because he's terrible at moving stuff. Um, we had him move a couch for us one time, and um, an ottoman flew out on the highway and pitch black. So um, it's all good. It hit a family member because we're all like family, right? So I'm kidding. We did lose the ottoman. We did not lose anybody else. Um, 
we've got cows that get on the highway. Ottoman's not a big deal. So we are to be generous, right? And, and it's crazy to me like, that like, we have to even talk about this. This is like one of the shorter points, and I see the time, so we'll get on to the third point. But it's so important for the application here is maybe you've been a believer for decades, and this, this idea just seems so foreign to you, that our resources are not our own. Yeah, we can write our name on it, right? Like we can do the old Toy Story thing, like Andy, right? Like write it on the bottom of our shoe and just take ownership. And like, yeah, these are my shoes, right? They are mine. I paid for them. But guess who gave me the job to get the money to get the shoes that I have? God. And understanding that helps you along the way in the unknown and broken path. And it helps you to serve your brothers and sisters on their unknown and broken path. Because we're all seeking the same thing. The glorification of God and sanctification of his people, right? So in our service, we're serving them, but they are then being sanctified, and you are being sanctified in your service. We are therefore being made into the likeness of God, which is what we want. That's what we want. So serve one another. Sacrificially, generously serve one another. Paul did it took up an offering for the church in Jerusalem. He, he writes to other churches who have never met these brothers and sisters and probably never met them before they died, a ton of them. And he says, hey, they've got a great need. Can we meet that need? Can we, can we take up this offering and meet their need and care for them? He says, for God loves a generous giver, right? That's what he says. And then God uses and God speaks through his word and his people. Point number three. Reminding ourselves of that in the midst of a broken or unknown situation or circumstance or trial, whatever it might be, remembering that will cause us to listen. You see, a lot of times, this is where orthodoxy and orthopraxy meet. Like the train down, like it looks like the train, the tracks just come together. This is that with orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Faith, belief, and action. Like we say it. We, yeah, God speaks. God is faithful. God is sovereign. God is completely in control, which is what it means to be sovereign, right? There's nothing out of his control, both the good and bad. He is in control. But when that moment strikes, like a snake striking at your leg and you get caught off guard, this is where we need to react godly, not godless. We need to remember that God speaks speaks through his word and through his people. Now let me pause here real quick because I don't want that to be uh, confused with new revelation. If you hear somebody speak and they're like, God told me, and be like, from where? Genesis through Revelation or a dream last night? Because there's two totally different things. Now I believe that, that dreams can happen, but what God does with, through his people is he's illuminating that which he's already revelated, right? I don't even know if revelated is a word. I'm from West Virginia, but you get the point. God has revealed to us, there's no new revelation, so he's using us to illuminate, to light up, to show and to display that which he's already revealed. It's not a new revelation, it's illumination of that which has been revealed. So when people come and they tell you they got a new thing, tell them, no, you got an old thing, a true thing that still stands true, and listen up. But God does actively speak still through his word by his spirit, illuminating the word to us, and also through brothers and sisters speaking the word. So don't get confused with new revelation. See, though this storm ahead that they're about to deal with, Nelson, there's a storm coming. 
They're dealing with it. He's about to warn them of it. Though it's not explicitly doctrinal, it is emphatically relational in its trust of God, of the God of the storm. That Paul sees the situation that they found themselves in, and he's saying, I trust God. And I'm using some sense here. Let's read. Verse 4. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. Right? The storm, it's getting bad. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. So they're switching ships, right? We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Samon. Coasting along it, it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near uh, near which was the city of Lazia. Since much time had passed, and the voyage was now, what church? Dangerous. Because even the fast was already over. Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Paul's speaking up. See, church, we, we need to have a calmness, a sense of trust of God in the face and the eye of whatever storm or situation, because our God is in control. Like, whatever you're facing and you see it coming, yes, you can take precautions, but if it's the will of the Lord, that storm's going to come, church. And in the storm, so you may see the face and it may never come, and you're like, praise you, God. But you may end up in the eye of the storm, and they will in a little bit, in the next next week, right? They'll be in the eye of it. And there's this calmness for Paul because he trusts God. We also, church, need to heed to the voice of those who spend much time in the Word and in prayer. Literally, we, if you know a brother or sister that is reading their Bible daily, praying daily, right? They're a great leader in your life, a great example. We'd be foolish not to at least listen to just listen, right? I remember when uh, Gary and I first started doing the podcast, and he'd tell me some crazy things about procreating before the fall, and I'm like, I hear some of you all laughing, right? That might have been Naomi. Was Naomi laughing? Yeah. <laughs> and some of you are like, procreating before the fall. Listen, I had the same face, but I'm like, this brother spends time in the Word. I'm going to listen to him, and I'm going to figure out why he's wrong, right? Like, I, you got to listen, right? And there's, there's no true, like, we don't fully know uh, how wrong he is, but, but, we, we, but here, I'm telling you honestly, I was like, I've at least got to go and Google search this. Before I just tell him, you're wrong, I'm like, because he spends time in the Word, he spends time praying. We'd be foolish to just ignore our brothers and sisters. This does not mean that they're inerrant, but church, if they are in the Word and actively, prayerfully seeking God, they are after the will of the Lord, no doubt. So attention should be given. It says here, it says the time of the year um, would have been late October. It would have been after, after October. How do I get that? It says the fast. It says it was dangerous because even the fast was already over. The fast was the day of atonement. R.C. Sproul notes this time as late September to mid-October for the fast. And it was Israel's only annual observance that required fasting. 
They fasted, but this was an annual observance where they all fasted. So even Paul, being a good Jew, despite what they're saying about him, probably would have just left this time of fasting. It's likely that he also observed this solemn time of prayer and devotion. It gives us the idea and the time of the year, and it gives us this, this context in which the Mediterranean Sea was unpredictable in its weather. But see, church, Paul knows his fate. He knows his fate, and he's speaking the truth. Paul knows, both, both eternally and temporally. He knows his fate. Acts 23, 11, it gives an account of the Lord's assurance that Paul would testify in Rome. It says the Lord assured Paul, good job, Paul. Now you're also going to testify in Rome. Paul's like, hey, we may hit the sea. I may get swallowed up by a fish and spit out on the sea. I've read that story, but you brothers may die. He warns them of the fate for them if they don't listen. You see the storm. Why are you going right at it? You can go slow. You can go fast. It doesn't matter. A storm's a storm, and on the sea, it's not a storm we want to face. Right? He's, he's warning them. He warns them. And church, we warn people of the destruction and separation that people will face if they do not know Christ on the last day. We tell them, hey, that storm looks nasty, but you get into the middle and it's going to be much more despicable. It's not something you're going to come out of. Paul's warning of this, this actual destruction ahead but we are to warn of the eternal destruction ahead for those who are separated from Christ for all of eternity. And this is what sharing the gospel in such a way looks like. Sometimes people believe. Sometimes they don't, and they act in their ignorance, depraved of the grace of God. In verse 11, But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. Hey, we're going to go. Hey, instead of just hanging here, right? And Paul, Paul had been on a missionary journey, right? Paul knows the area. He's been on the sea. He gets it. He's been hanging out with a lot of fishermen. He gets it. He knows what he's talking about. And most importantly, he knows the God of the storm. He says, guys, this is not a good time. I'm in no rush to get over to Caesar. Y'all are going to die. You've got to retreat a little bit. Think it through. Church, how many times have we had people not only lead us to Christ, they, they warned us, but even as believers, the application here would be we need to listen to our brothers and sisters. Maybe we, we talk about counting the cost of discipleship, following Jesus, right? And then we have a brother or sister tell us what it means to follow Jesus. Like, that's extreme. It's an extreme walk with Christ, amen? Like, we need to heed to that voice. We need to listen. And then our brothers and sisters ought to back it up with Scripture, right? They shouldn't just be like, I just don't think that we should be doing this and, and, and doing that, and we need to follow Jesus, and we just shouldn't do all that. I hear you. Tell me from here, right? Like, hey, you're in the Word. Show it to me. But too often we're just dismissive with our brothers and sisters because they live an extreme walk. It's an extreme walk with Christ. Count the cost. So to end here, and we're going to celebrate a baptism, uh, you can go ahead and, and get Abby. This is a, a little girl who's counted the cost. Her daddy's walked through it with her, showing her what it means to be a believer and to trust in Jesus and, and to deal with the difficulty and the trials. 
right? So here, let me end with this. If you're not a believer here this morning, there's a storm, and it's an eternal storm. It's a storm that will never end. And even worse, church, it's a place that's described of gnashing of teeth. It's not a place you want to be, and it's not a place I want to describe this morning. You don't want to go there. You need to repent and believe because the better part is it's not about the destination that you're being redeemed to. It's about the the one who created all things that you're being redeemed to, that you were then redeemed and adopted into the family of God by repenting and believing in the gospel. You're not simply spared from the storm. You're, You're now reconciled into the arms of the father who sent his son to die for you by repenting and believing. What good news. And to the believer this morning, there are many storms and many trials that you will face. I cannot end this this morning by saying that everything's going to be gravy when you leave. I don't know that you're not going to break down on your way out of here. But what I ought to know is that someone will be there to pick you up. Someone will be there to serve you and remind you of the grace and the goodness of God that is there with us each and every day in the face of the storm and whatever situation you find yourself in. Church, we ought to be a people that trust God in the unknown and broken path. So let us do that. Let us us praise him in the highs and the lows of this life, trusting him on the unknown and broken path. Nelson, if you want to go ahead and come back up and band, and we're going to celebrate with this baptism. But church, I I just want to to pray for us real quick. And again, I I, I can't emphasize enough. If you do not know Christ as Lord, there's separation for all of eternity. And if you do know him, you ought to be going and telling people. Because God uses his people to spread his word. God uses his people to serve his people. So serve one another this week. And remember that whatever situation you find yourself in, God can give you favor even with the wicked. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And right now, we praise you for what you've done in Abby's life, God. We pray that you would just, um, just, just bless each and every one of us uh, this morning, uh, getting to witness this, her going public with her faith. Remind us, God, that it is not this water that is cleansing her of her sins. It is the blood of Jesus and the faith that you've given to her that has already cleansed this sister, and she is telling the world, and praise be to you, O oh God. God, we pray that you would use her in a mighty way. We pray that you would just let her be your servant and to go and to tell the nations to serve her neighbors and to love and to care for those who are sick and hurting. And God, let her be a voice to the broken, sharing the gospel to those in need. Praise be to you, O God, for what you've done in us and through us and through Abby. I can't wait to see what you do and the testimony she lives out. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.